as my trip was coming to an end, I actually made a point. I spent a, about a week on the beach in Thailand, kind of debriefing and like, you know, what have I just experienced? What was that, you know? And what do I want next? And um, it just seemed like a logical fit. And I knew that if I just took the skills and the contacts I already had, I would be able to go anywhere, really. This week, we're indulging a personal fantasy of mine. Maybe it's one of yours, too. We're talking about packing up, leaving town for good. We're talking about hitting the road and never looking back. This week, it's all about becoming a digital nomad. You're listening to What Works, the show that brings you candid conversations about what's really working to grow and run a small business from the entrepreneurs themselves. I'm your host, Tara McMullen. If you're like me, every shiny Airstream trailer you pass feels like it's taunting you. Every Ford Transit van that whizzes by brings about fantasies of custom buildouts and months spent in remote campgrounds. Every adorable Airbnb listing that pops up on social media or in a magazine brings on thoughts of, yeah, I could live there for a month. Maybe it's my mercurial nature. Maybe it's a deep desire to quit suburban culture and blaze my own trail. Maybe it's a pull to start over, to start fresh. But it sounds good. Now, the life of a full-time digital nomad isn't in the cards for me right now, and that's okay. Instead, I'm trying to bring as much of it into the life I have now as possible. And whether you too want a little more digital nomadism in your life, or you're ready to sell all your earthly possessions and hit the road, or you're simply curious, this conversation is for you. Today, I'm joined by Amy Scott. Amy is the founder of both Nomad Editorial and Nomadtopia, a hub for inspiration and resources for location independence. Amy opted out of her office job and traditional lifestyle back in 2004 and never looked back. She now keeps a home base in Buenos Aires, where she travels the world with her Argentine husband. Her podcast, Nomadtopia Radio, features interviews with people living their version of Nomadtopia. Now, Amy and I talk about the steps she took to create a location-independent lifestyle, the initial challenges she overcame, and how her life has evolved since becoming a digital nomad. We also talk about the nitty-gritty of tech tools and techniques it takes to live life on the road and run a business at the same time. Now, let's find out what works for Amy Scott. Amy Scott, welcome to What Works. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's great to be here, Tara. Thanks for having me. Of course. Okay. So I'm really excited for this conversation. Um, You know, all this month we're talking about doing business from the road. And of course there was no one uh, I thought of before you. I was like, "Ah, got to have Amy on the podcast. So (laughs) um, let's just start, uh, start at the beginning, which came first, deciding to travel full-time or starting your own business? Yeah. So actually for me, travel came first and you know, I've been thinking about this. I did always, not always, but for several years, I'd had kind of in the back of my head, this idea of working for myself, but for some reason that felt very scary and intimidating. Uh, but quitting my job to travel did not. <laughs> so that's what I did. Uh, so yeah, first I took, um, about a nine month solo around the world trip and it was, kind of as that was coming to the end that I realized there's no way I want to go back to an office and I already don't have a job. So there's nothing to lose. Seems like a good time to start working for myself and then I can continue this adventure. 
Wow. Okay. So um, tell us about that day then when you realized that, when you realized, all right, here I am. I'm, I have now traveled around the world by myself, which makes you a super badass, of course. <laughs> um, and like, I just would love to hear where you were, what you were up to, what your thought process was as you made the decision to go it on your own, starting your own business. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, I was in kind of a unique position because this was 2005. So it's not like I was surrounded by people who were, you know, online writing blogs and Instagramming about this stuff. But I've been working in publishing where I was surrounded by freelancers and hiring freelancers who lived all over the country. Um, My last job was for a travel publisher, (laughs) no surprise. And actually, one of our freelance copy editors was a former employee who had moved to Costa Rica and was still working for us. So that seed had been planted very early that, you know, you didn't need to be in an office that you can even be in another country and do work that I already knew how to do. So that was kind of a lucky piece of knowledge and skill, I guess. Um, So that was always in the back of my head. And then as my trip was coming to an end, I actually made a point. I spent a about a week on the beach in Thailand, kind of debriefing and like, you know, what have I just experienced? What was that, you know, and what do I want next? And um, it just seemed like a logical fit. And I knew that if I just took the skills and the contacts I already had, I would be able to go anywhere really. And Initially, it didn't necessarily start out as, you know, I'm going to be moving around constantly, but that I can choose to be wherever I want to be. Mm. Um, And I went back to the US and, you know, bought my first laptop and contacted everybody I knew and told them that I was um, getting started as a freelancer and kind of wanted to prove that that worked before I actually went anywhere. So I spent, I guess, about... All told, I guess I was back in the States, although I moved around the States a bit, um, about a year and a half, two years. And then I moved to Buenos Aires, Argentina, which was um, a place I loved on my round the world trip and where I decided, okay, this is this is going to be, you know, the real proving ground. Um, but I already felt pretty confident that it really didn't matter where I was and that I would be able to uh, continue to do this work, continue to get clients and continue to make money. Awesome. Um, what were some of the kinds of jobs that you, the freelance gigs that you were getting uh, in the very beginning after making this decision? The very beginning, um, my first few jobs came from my former employers. I had worked for two different publishing companies, and obviously they were some of the first people I reached out to. And I remember I had decided for some reason August 1st was going to be my official start date. And on that day, I got an email from my old boss at Avalon Travel uh, offering me a job to copy edit. Um, I think it was Road Trip USA, which was you know a book that they put out every couple of years and uh, there was a new edition coming out. And I was like, yep, great. And you know, so we were <laughs> off and running. And um, I, yeah, I would say my, my former employers were my primary clients for the first few years, really. Um, Obviously, I was constantly trying to, you know, make new contacts and bring um, new projects into the fold. But um, that was really my bread and butter for the first few years. Oh, that's awesome. So and I love that you shared that you spent the first two years 
actually freelancing and figuring things out in the States before you moved um, out of the country. Because I think, you know, we hear stories like this where we hear, oh, Amy's a digital nomad. And we think, oh, that just means you up and quit your job one day, moved to a different country, started making millions of dollars and, <laughs> and working up from your laptop on the beach, you know, three days a week. Um, and of course, no story actually goes that way. There is there is no story of that, not even Tim Ferriss, of course. Um, there, It takes time. It takes some calculation. It takes some getting comfortable with things. Um, and in that, I think there have got to be those initial challenges. So I'm curious, in those first few years, whether it was in the States or whether it was when you first moved um, out of the country, what were some of the initial challenges you ran into? And which of those were you expecting and which were really surprising? <laughs> Yeah, that's such a good question. You know, and I was thinking back on this, some, some of the really early challenges, um, well, some of them I think were really just kind of products of the time and the fact that there wasn't a lot of the technology that we have now mm -hmm. to do things that we can do online. Um, one thing I remember is that very early, I like even before the August 1st start date, I was falling back into my old patterns that I'd learned in the office of, you know, printing out a timesheet for each client and, you know, making paper files for clients. And like, I had this whole filing system and, you know, it was part of that too, I think was just the excitement of starting something new and like, Ooh, I've got to have my, my file system and my, you know, I'm going to make this all official. And then fairly quickly, I realized, well, this is not going to be very portable, which is the entire point. So I started, you know, looking for ways to take those systems online. And I remember actually, I also had, you know, a handful of my go-to reference books for editing that I actually took with me to Argentina because I couldn't work without them and there wasn't any other option. And now like the Chicago Manual of Style, you can get an online subscription <laughs> and access all of the same information without lugging a book around. So some of those changes have been really huge. Uh, also, like when I moved to Argentina, I didn't have a smartphone. I remember that I actually signed up for Twitter in 2008 because a client and I figured out that she could DM me on Twitter and I could have it forward a text message to my cell phone in Argentina. And so then I would know like, okay, now it's like time to get to work because I didn't want to be tied to my desk all day, right? Mm -hmm. Which the smartphone now allows us to have that freedom. So I was constantly looking for like, okay, What's the tool that's going to help me do this? Um, and then, you know, more recently, when my husband and I went more nomadic, that was starting in 2012, I had also expanded beyond my editing work. And so I needed to do things, you know, I needed to be online at specific times for calls, like for coaching calls. Um, then I started my podcast, all of these things. And so we were going to be spending time in Asia and so I suddenly I needed to figure out, okay, how am I going to handle all these time zone differences? I need to batch my calls. Um, I need to, yeah, I guess those are the two, you know, the two main things that I was thinking about, like, how am I going to make sure that, well, and also having backup internet to make sure that I can always get online at specific times, which is really different than, you know, sitting here by myself editing something. Yeah. Thank you for sharing all of those. And I, there are, I, I want to revisit some of them uh, later in the interview and talk about, you know, really how things have changed for you over this, this period of time. 
You'll learn how Amy manages the tech side of life and business on the road in just a minute. But first, a word from our What Works partner. What Works is brought to you by Mighty Networks. It's time to simplify your business and your life. Creating content, building a movement, and leading a community is hard work, but it doesn't have to mean hassling with a host of software services, social media platforms, and customer management systems. Mighty Networks is the simple way to bring people together, deliver high-quality content, and spread your message, all while making your business easier to run, too. Mighty Networks combines key functions like building a community, online course management, content creation, networking, events, and even payment processing so that you have an all-in-one platform for running your business. We use Mighty Networks to power the What Works Network. We offer a behind-the-scenes look at podcast interviews, host members-only events, help members network with each other, facilitate ongoing conversations about important topics, and collect membership fees. It's so much simpler than the collection of apps we've gobbled together before. Plus, our members love managing their benefits and membership all in one place, too. Start simplifying your life and business with Mighty Networks. Get started free of charge by going to MightyNetworks.com. That's MightyNetworks.com. I hope you're loving On the Road Month here at What Works. We're diving into how small business owners build flexibility, efficiency, and time off into their businesses so they can enjoy life and travel. Next month, we're exploring confidence, and we've got something special up our sleeve so we can really give this topic its due. Throughout August, we'll be sharing stories from small business owners every single weekday. They'll be sharing how they develop the confidence to level up and take the next step. We'll be exploring questions like, what happens when the next step in your plan requires you to show up in a whole new way and do things differently? What happens when the call to level up becomes louder than the call to stay safe? What happens when excitement dissolves into panic? How do you move forward? It's candid community conversation about the ways that confidence, or lack thereof, impacts us as entrepreneurs and how we take the next step in spite of fear or insecurity. We're featuring eight podcast episodes throughout the month on this topic, plus written essays from other contributors. To subscribe to the project so you don't miss a single story, go to explorewhatworks.com slash confidence. That's explorewhatworks.com slash confidence. Let's talk about from your perspective, kind of some of the ways that you run your business, whether it's because you have to run it that way or because you choose to run it that way, that are different from the average business owner who's who's staying put, who has a home office. She doesn't have she isn't moving every six months or every year or every right. month. What are what are some of the ways that you've noticed you do things differently? Yeah, you know, that also I feel like. In the early days, there were things that were probably more different between the way I did things and the way people saying put would do things. And now, because the same technology can be useful to people who aren't going anywhere, I think things are maybe actually less different than they used to be. Um, One example is that from day one, I, well, especially once I left the country, I guess, I was very... um, I was always avoiding giving people a phone number because for (laughs) all kinds of reasons, 
that number might not work on a given day, or it's confusing to them, you know, how to get through, or I need to initiate the call via a different service, like whatever the case might be, I always found it was easier for me to initiate calls. And so I was like, nope, I don't have a number available for you. Um, But now, like most, many people, I use Zoom almost exclusively. And so now no one is even expecting me to give them a phone number. So things like that, you know, started out differently. um, And now have, I think we've kind of like grown closer together, which the nice thing about that, I think, is that for a lot of people who started their business for completely different reasons, and then realized, oh, wait a minute, maybe I could take this on the road with me, they probably already have a lot of the tools in place to, to make that possible. Yeah, totally. I mean, that's our plan for the summer. Like here we are. Okay. This is a July interview. Yeah. Here we are recording it in the middle of March and it's still very cold outside here in Pennsylvania. <laughs> um, but we're planning on being in Montana when this airs um, yeah. as we usually are that time of year. And yeah, Sean and I are already talking about, okay, how do we pick up for a month maybe and go out there and actually do interviews and do work from the road um, and still be able to enjoy ourselves. And I think you're exactly right. And it's it's such a good point and something I had not even considered that as time has gone on, our businesses look more similar, not less similar. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it makes complete sense because yeah, I mean, in small ways, much smaller ways, I've been working from the road from the road for years and years and years now, um, just not as committedly as you have. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. And I just want to mention a couple other like really crucial things that yeah. people might not have set up that they should. Um, I always make sure I have at least one backup way to get online. Um, Usually the easiest way to do that these days is with um, data on your cell phone. Um, Because yeah, you just never know, right? And especially when you arrive somewhere new, you're just assuming that the internet's going to be decent, but it might not be. Um, also batching calls. Again, I think a lot of people are doing this kind of stuff, you know, time blocking and scheduling this way is becoming more common. Um, but especially if you're going to have travel days in the mix, having only a couple days a week where you have to be online at specific time for calls, um, that makes things way easier. And then I could not survive without my scheduling software, and, you know, World Time Buddy and these other um, Doodle, like, you know, all these tools for figuring out time zone stuff. And then Google Calendar just really helping me stay on track of all that stuff. In fact, right now, uh, the U.S. just switched to U.S. Save, uh, daylight Saving Time. Mexico changes in three weeks. And so right now, <laughs> I'm one or no, I'm two hours from New York and one hour from the West Coast. And it used to, normally it's the opposite. And so like that's doing my head in. But thanks to all my tools, it hasn't messed up any of my scheduling. That's awesome. Yeah, no, I literally sent a message to Sean after we had some time zone issues yesterday with some scheduling stuff, oddly enough, um, and then sent uh, a message to Shannon was like, oh, we need to message about the virtual conference that everyone needs to check the start time because here we are sitting pretty in daylight saving time and the rest of the world is like, you guys are dumb. And... And uh, we're going to have some um, um, PO'd people next week for our virtual conference if we don't remind people to check times. Anyhow, it's all, yeah, it's so confusing, but you're right. The technology, most of the time, 
has made that so much easier, has made it, yeah, it's just, uh, uh, yeah, possible. I feel like mm-hmm. so, a while ago, it would have almost felt impossible or would have felt like a challenge that was hard um, to overcome. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I would love, I thank you for the tools and, and kind of just thinking through like some of the things that might be different or similar um, in the way you run your business to the way we, uh, you know, me as a person who owns a house and stays here all the time uh, kind of person runs my business. I'd love for you to do sort of the same thing with us for how you spend your time. Mm -hmm. You know, I work a pretty nine to five kind of schedule Monday through Friday. Um, I'm guessing your schedule looks a little bit different. Can you kind of walk us through what an average week looks like for you? Yeah, you know, it really depends on where I am and how long I'm going to be there. And I have definitely learned the hard way that it's pretty much impossible to give both travel and work my full attention, (laughs) you know, to be like in full on like tourist and moving around mode and trying to like, you know, finish an important project or launch a program or, you know, like, that's not a good idea. So depending on which of those is getting more of my attention in any given moment, um, my day and my week might look very similar to yours, or it could look really different. You know, there are days that if I'm staying in one place, we often, you know, we have times where we move around more often, but our average has been mm, probably three-ish months in one place. So obviously that gives us a lot of flexibility um, on how we spend our time and takes off some of the pressure of having to like get out and explore constantly. Cause we know we have time. And so we spend a lot of days, you know, just like you do probably, you know, get up and go to work and, and just get things done. Um, if either I've just gotten somewhere new and I'm, you know, I can't resist <laughs> getting out. Um, I might just schedule some time off or just kind of mix it up and might have, you know, like I might work in the morning and then take afternoons off to explore and then maybe even come back and do some work in the evening. Um, when we were in Asia and dealing with, you know, as I mentioned, that time difference, most of our clients were um, in North America. And so it actually worked really well for us to be out exploring kind of afternoon into early evening. And then we would come home and work kind of late in, you know, I would be doing calls at like midnight and then go to bed and sleep in and, you know, do it again. So that's also a factor is like kind of, you know, the time zone situation and how we need to balance things. Um, And then, especially when we are changing location more frequently, or if we're, you know, we've been somewhere for a while and now we're going to change location. I definitely make a point of clearing my calendar um, as much as I can, both of calls and editing deadlines and things like that. So, you know, we can focus on packing up, uh, moving to the next location, making sure the internet and everything else is, you know, as expected, and then get back to work. I love that. Um, And I love the variety uh, in it. I'm sure it wouldn't work for everyone, but I think there's something that everyone can see, like how enticing it is (laughs) to have that kind of variety and and flexibility in your schedule and and just how well you're making it work. Um, How do you decide where you're going to go next? Yeah, there are times that it's really hard to decide because when you could pretty much go anywhere. <laughs> like, yeah. how do you narrow it down? Right. Uh, but in our experience, 
there's a number of things that often um, start to create some kind of like bookends on things. Like there might be, you know, some event we want to go to in a certain location or um, there's, you know, or weather plays into it. Like we know it's the hottest time of year somewhere, so we're not going to go there. Um, Or like once we were in Asia, we just, you know, made sense to go to some other countries that were close to Malaysia where we started. Um, So yeah, it's kind of a mix of what makes sense kind of logistically and also what kind of experience we want to have. And, and also work plays into that too. In fact, when we got to Malaysia, this was in 2014, 13, (laughs) it's hard to keep track sometimes. Um, I was planning to launch one of my online programs and knew that I really wanted to be in one place to make that happen. And so we purposely, we had a, beach, um, an island in Malaysia that was recommended to us. And we purposely found a place there for two months. And the plan was, okay, that we're going to go there. And we've got the beach in our downtime, which is great. But we've also got, you know, a stable place to do this launch and and focus on some work. That makes a ton of sense. Okay, I've got some like nitty gritty logistical questions for you. Are you ready? Um, (laughs) When so let's just jump right off of that one. Where do you find the places that you're going to stay and what kind of places do you stay in? Yeah, that particular place was actually an Airbnb, except was recommended personally by someone who knew the host Mm. who we met in another part of Malaysia. And actually, I think I lose track of how we connected with different people. I think that actually might have been a world domination guy. Oh, cool. Yeah. Who we connected with through the World Domination Facebook group, I think, and then uh, met up with him when we were in Malaysia. And he's like, oh, well, there's this really great island. And I happen to know a really great place to stay. (laughs) So obviously, personal connections like that can, can, you know, they're really the ideal scenario. Um, In most other places, we're starting out either with Airbnb or a hotel. Um, If we're going to stay in one city or one area for a while, I really prefer to find something locally when we get there, uh, both because then you can kind of get, you know, get a feel for a place before you commit to something long term. Mm -hmm. Um, And also because the deals are often better. Uh, We've spent quite a bit of time the last few years in San Miguel de Allende here in Mexico. And we were able to get some really phenomenal deals that were not available online because we were in town walking around and like saw a sign on a telephone pole, you know? Oh, wow. Um, so that kind of stuff you just, you know, you can't do or find until you're actually in the place. Or also now you've got, there's a million expat and digital nomad Facebook groups and stuff like that where, you know, people might be able to make a personal recommendation. Um, but yeah, generally for longer term, if you can get off Airbnb, you can save some money. I love that. Um, What about mail? This is one I have Mm -hmm. never understood. (laughs) and I've never had to. Um, And it probably is not as necessary now. It's probably one of the things that has also changed along with, uh, you know, the tools that you use and the technology that you have. But how do you handle, like, what's just your mail system look like? How do you handle getting physical mail? Yeah, you're right. It definitely has changed in the sense that it's rare that I actually need to receive something, but it hasn't changed the fact that virtually any 
service or official entity is going to ask you for an address. So even if they're not actually sending you anything, you need to be able to give them something. Um, So I've been very lucky that for how many years has it been now? Like 15 years, my parents have been willing to receive my mail and my dad will scan stuff and send it to me. Um, if you know, it looks important and yeah, so I basically have used my parents' address for a really long time. Um, but there are also mail forwarding services that will basically do the same thing my dad does, but you pay them. (laughs) (laughs) No, we all need Amy's dad. (laughs) Yeah. Um, and in fact, I did recently set that up. Um, I'm using a service called traveling mailbox and, I've had it, I think I've had it almost a year. I literally have not received a single piece of mail, but there were a couple official, um, you know, business things that I had to put my address on. And I just got to a point where I felt like, "Eh, maybe I don't feel comfortable putting my parents' address on just anything. Um, Actually, one interesting thing I learned recently, I was going to update, I had used kind of a fake, you know, like one, two, three, four main street kind of address for my, um, for my newsletter, for my email marketing Mm -hmm. software for a long time. And then when I got this kind of official business address, I was putting it in convert kit and I saw, and this was last year, I assume this is still true that they actually will let you use their address. If you don't feel comfortable putting your own address in there. I did not know that. Me neither. I was like, that is brilliant. Of course, I don't know what happens if you actually received a piece of mail. I guess they would tell you. Um, But yeah, because, you know, the laws require an address to be on there, but not everyone wants, you know, there's probably plenty of people. I mean, that's probably not entirely above board to use a fake address like I did. So yeah, there's options like that available too. Awesome. Yeah. I mean, the the normal workaround is like getting a P.O. box or a UPS right. um, address, at least, you know, here in, here in the United States. I'm sure there are similar things elsewhere as well. Um, but that's super interesting. I had no idea that that they that you yeah. could do that. I'm going to look into that. Um, you know, one of the other things, especially as you were talking about Airbnb and, and finding deals on places to stay, something that crossed my mind is that, you know, it starts to sound expensive to be a digital nomad. And, um, you know, I realized that so many of your your expenses are offset by the lack of mortgage and the lack of, um, you know, all of the things that come from being in one place for very long and the expenses that you rack up with that. But I'm curious what some of the unexpensive unexpected expenses of both running your life and your business this way have been? Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I think a lot of people equate the costs involved with this lifestyle to what they experience when they go on vacation. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I mean, if you're doing, you know, you're paying for flights and you're paying to stay somewhere for a week or two and, you know, all of the activities and so on that comes with a vacation, I mean, I've seen the numbers of what some people spend on vacation. I'm like, oh my God, I didn't spend that in like how many months, you know? Um, because that's one thing is that for sure, the longer you spend in one place, um, you know, the more those costs get distributed. And a lot of people um, often choose less expensive destinations also. So that obviously makes a big difference. Um, some of the unexpected expenses... Let's see. Well, one, 
I guess would be health insurance, which mm-hmm. everyone handles differently. And um, although it might be unexpectedly less expensive <laughs> than what you're paying back home, um, you know, it, it depends what kind of, you know, where you're from and what kind of coverage you want to have, obviously, and how old you are, blah, blah, blah. But um, I have a like global health insurance plan that, um, from what I've heard, costs significantly less then I would be paying for insurance in the States. So some things like that, if you're, you know, really like out of the country full time, basically, um, there are things that you can do that can really change the, you know, your expenses dramatically. Um, unexpected though. I mean, I guess it's, yeah, it's flights, it's visas. Um, and it really just, I think more than anything, like I said, it depends on how much you're moving around, Mm. you know, and the less, um, the more time you spend in one place, um, the cheaper it gets really. That makes a ton of sense. Makes yeah. a ton of sense. Um, all right. I'm trying to think if I have any other tactical, like nitty gritty questions mm-hmm. for you, cause I'm just so fascinated by this. And, um, I have dreams of moving like we we have dreams of selling the house and packing it all into a van and just traveling from national park to national park so like not even as in depth as you are but like the the logistics of it so so often feel overwhelming yeah. um, you mentioned some of the tools that you use for your business um that you can't live without now or that you wouldn't want to live without now what are some of the tools you use for your life are there is there pieces of software are there particular communities are there particular resources that you rely on to make your lifestyle work hmm good question um i yeah i would say online communities um just in general have been really invaluable especially when we've been going to a location that we don't, you know, we don't know anybody there, we don't know anything about. And so being able to, to tie in with, you know, a local expat group or a nomad group um, is always a great source of local information that can be hard to get any other way. Um, I would be remiss if I didn't mention my own community. (laughs) I was going to (laughs) say. Um, which is not focused on one specific location, but the Nomadtopia Collective is really the place for all of this logistical stuff. And like you said, a lot of people can get really bogged down in that and just be like, oh my God, how am I going to make this work? Um, and we've got an awesome community of people who are doing it, who've been doing it for a long time or who are just figuring it out. Um, so yeah, obviously connecting with other people who are doing the same thing is really huge. Um, Besides community, there's a couple, especially if you're moving around a lot, there's an app that I've, it's funny, I've been moving around less the last few years. So this app has not been quite as important to me as it maybe would have been a few years ago, Uh, but it's called TripIt, T-R-I-P-I-T. And especially if you're at a place where, you know, there might be five different flights and accommodations and such, you know, like all of those logistics are planned for the next month or two. It'll lay it all out for you. It basically pulls in from your email, all your reservation information, and then you have it in one place. And if you're moving around, I mean, even for vacation, you know, like if you're doing one of those trips where it's like two nights in each place and it's hard to keep track of everything, an app like that can really help you keep your head on straight. 
That sounds awesome. I wish I would have had that last summer when I was planning yeah. that kind of trip. Um, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> okay. Uh, I need to bring it back out to the big picture now because I'm curious how your lifestyle, travel, uh, living as an expat has influenced the way your business has evolved from those early freelancing gigs uh, to the way that you run your business now. Can you kind of reflect on that for us? Yeah. So I think some of the changes have been kind of purely logistical and some of them have been, um, I guess, kind of a product of my experience. You know, I, well, a couple of things happened over the years. One was I have been working with publishing companies. As I mentioned earlier, my, you know, my first clients were my former employers and over time, I realized I would have a lot more say in how all of this goes, you know, the pricing, the timing, the level of editing, you know, all of it, if I were working with independent writers. And that, again, was good timing in the sense that self-publishing was just starting to become a thing. And so that was one shift I made, which I think kind of went along with this I don't know, like wanting to have flexibility in all areas of my life, um, you know, versus a client saying, okay, here's the project. Here's what we pay. We need it back next Friday, you know, um, mm -hmm. to be able to flip that around and go, here's when I can finish. Here's what I will charge. <laughs> um, you know, so th that was a big shift. And then I also, the editing was the logical place for me to start, right? As I mentioned I had the skills, I had the connections, I knew I could make money basically from day one. But I didn't necessarily feel like that was, you know, like my life's work or whatever. And I wasn't too worried about that. But over time, I also started to think like, how do I really want to be spending my time? And how do I want to work with people? How do I want to help people? Um, and that's how Nomadtopia came to be. And that, you know, was a direct product of my own experience. And recognizing that um, I had a lot of information to share and also that this is stuff that I could talk about all day, every day. <laughs> um, and then, you know, some other pieces of it have really changed based on where I've been and how fast we've been moving and stuff like that. Um, I touched on this a little bit, but like going from editing, which is, which I still do, but you know, that was very, um, it's very asynchronous work. And I realized, wow, when you're moving around a lot, that's actually really easy <laughs> because, yeah. you know, you don't have to necessarily be online at specific times and you might not even need that great a connection because it's just a matter of, you know, crossing your fingers and waiting till a file uploads. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> um, and once I started adding, you know, coaching and the podcast and the online community, all of those things um, involve live aspects that changed, in a way, changed the way I travel because I realized that I needed to be, you know, the internet connection was way more important and I needed to be available at certain times. So those two, like kind of those two sides, I feel like have kind of informed each other. Yeah. Yeah. I love that, that we keep kind of coming back to these themes of what allows you to have more flexibility and also what are the constraints and how are you going to make the most 
of them. Yeah. And so whether we're talking about kind of the big picture side of things or the nitty gritty side of things, we keep coming back to those two themes. Um, and I think that's a pretty great takeaway um, from not only this conversation, but hopefully this whole month of conversations about doing business from the road or taking time off from our businesses and just rethinking the way we approach uh, this thing that is our small business. Yeah. All right, Amy, uh, I'd love to hear like, what are the projects that you have coming up this year that you're really excited about? Um, and just kind of generally what's next for you? Yeah. So, well, there's kind of a big thing, which is that I'm pregnant with twins. <laughs> so, um, as you know, so uh, yeah. we're planning to stay put here in Mexico City for a while. And so that's, um, you know, that's kind of slowed down the travel side of things. And yet also feels like I'm in, I'm embarking on, you know, the biggest trip I've ever taken. <laughs> Totally. So, so yeah, I don't necessarily feel, you know, constrained by that. And, you know, we're really just trying to stay open to all the possibilities um, because we have no idea really where this is going to take us. And um, other than that, the community lives on and, you know, the Nomatopia Collective is, is going strong and I'm really excited to continue to grow that community and support people there. And um, I'm a, I will admit I'm a little concerned about when and how I'm going to be able to reincorporate editing if, you know, everything they say about sleep deprivation and such is true. <laughs> um, but, you know, that also speaks to the importance and the, the, the value of having multiple income streams because, you know, the work that I do in supporting the collective is is so different and, you know, kind of a different like level of brain activity compared to doing a really nitty gritty editing project. Um, so I'm grateful that I have both of those options and I can kind of figure out, you know, how those are going to work together. And um, yeah. And I would also say, you know, we definitely are still envisioning travel and exploration as part of our future. We don't also feel that um, Mexico city is our, forever home. So, you know, we've got some learning and some growing to do, but, um, yeah, I have a hunch there's a lot more in store for us. Yeah. I have a hunch there is too. Amy Scott, thank you so much for this conversation. I've learned a ton. Um, uh, and I also just really appreciate, uh, your transparency around your approach to your business and your lifestyle. Thanks so much. It's been fun, Tara. Find out more about Amy Scott at nomadeditorial.com. For more on how Amy empowers others in the location-independent lifestyle, go to nomadtopia.com and check out our podcast, Nomadtopia Radio, wherever you listen to What Works. This episode was produced by Sean McMullen. It was edited by Marty Seafelt. Our theme music is by The Shrubs. If you love the inside look we give you at how small businesses really run, I'd love for you to leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It helps us reach more small business owners and cut through the hype. Find more than 200 candid conversations with small business owners like Amy at explorewhatworks.com.